shouldn't do that. My son's going to sleep, and I'm over oh, here yelling no. like Nathan. Okay. All right, well, we'll quietly welcome back to a Mark's Madness collaboration. This is the welcome. NPR edition. We're going to talk in a nice, That's the, the soft ask- voice like this, in a <laughs> cadence that talks to you like you're stupid. <laughs> so, That's why I hate NPR. I feel like I'm a child listening. Yeah, well, I, I think they think everyone's a child. So <laughs> everything else is government propaganda. It's government funded, but they're public. They're the good guys. They're public. So. <laughs> I thought you were so, a communist. I thought that meant we were pro-public. Well, we we are. We are. <laughs> you still got to know. We got to know the context of the state. There was this whole thing from <laughs> Lenin and everything. Come on, man. Uh, so, uh, what? Did, Lenin? Yeah, some guy. I don't know. Some Russian some guy, guy. He did a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I heard he wrote some books. We might want to read them sometime. Um. <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast, too. Sometimes. Like, oh, we read a couple of them earlier. A while ago. Don't mean to brag. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome back to Mark's Madness and Chunkaluta uh, collaboration. Um, oh, it's so weird to hear the new name being said. Yeah, well, I, I'm just I happy I, I remembered it. I have such a bad memory, and I, I got through that. So, hooray for me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's really easy to remember. It so. is really easy to remember. That helps I'd a lot. Hope. I'd hope. And if I, if I forgot, I could just say Red Road. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're going to get back to uh, the Red Deal. We don't have Nathan here, so we're off the rails. We're totally disorganized. We're a mess. Um, <laughs> disorganized <laughs> and a mess or – Organized in our own messy way. Oh, oh, there we go. There we now go. Now, this is decolonizing your mind. In- <laughs> oh, God, fuck off. <laughs> I know what that pile is. I know what that pile is. And I know where my things are. It's fine. See my bookshelves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what piles were what. No, she- oh, I'm not even. So the second shelf is literally like several piles from around the house that nice. my partner so kindly put away in one section. And I was like, why would you put away my piles? And she was like, <laughs> they're all together. It's just a pile on the shelf where books go. <laughs> I have, so I have, I have a bookshelf in my son's room with, with their, that like both of my sons uh, have their, their kid books on a bookshelf. And they're in piles and they keep falling off of the floor. And so I got on them the other day. I'm like, you got to put these on the shelf so they don't, they're not just stack them so people don't step on them and break them. And no sooner did I do that, that I walked into my bedroom and looked at my bookshelf and went, God damn it. Cause it was exactly the same way. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> well, like I, I end up like organizing stuff based on project. Yeah. So it's like, these books go here. Cause that's this project. Yeah. And, uh, Things have merged so much together that it's just like, <laughs> where do they go? I don't know. Like, I want to get like you know, like yarn and start like pinning up shit. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, but um, but anyway, Mark's Madness. Yeah, Mark's. Yeah. So we're gonna get back into the Red Deal, but before we do, we're gonna t- take a look a little bit at current events. Um, first one I think on the docket we should talk about is Chevron. So Chevron is is a company that pumps oil out of Venezuela. It's usually where Venezuela's uh, oil well, would go it, in the United States. Like in the U.S. and Venezuela, all over, yeah. yeah. But that the is... Gulf is like their main area, and they try yes. to stick around. You know, it's a... Uh, it's... Uh, oh, it's George H.W.'s. Yeah. It was uh, It was a CIA front. It's a CIA front. I mean, yeah, it very much is. Very much is. But... <laughs> 
But if Venezuela's oil is getting sold to the U.S., that's where it's getting sold. And that was being shut out for a long time as part of the sanctions on Venezuela. That And then we're not talking like Venezuela's gold is still being hoarded in a British bank. But the United States has kind of had to turn back to Venezuela's oil and not sanction it um, partially because, you know, Russia. China's just growing more powerful. And Russia. Yeah, and, and <laughs> partially because – Russia and those sanctions there have left the United States in kind of an oil crisis. It certainly right. put Europe in an energy crisis, and Europe's still in it. Um, but the U.S. is is going to pivot away, and part of that is pivoting to some countries that the U.S. has shut out before, and that includes Venezuela. Um, that's not going to be like some magical cure to all of Venezuela's economic problems or a full lift of sanctions. But that well, is like social to- Democrats are like, this is a win. It's yeah. like – the U.S. continuing to develop oil in Venezuela is not a win. That's right. <laughs> it is barely, barely a concession. I mean, yes, yes. But that said, that is an important concession that will have a positive economic impact in some fashion on Venezuela, and they need it badly um, because of the brutality of U.S. sanctions. So that is a good thing. We just need to take that good thing with a grain of salt. Like always. And so that kind of – well – this is a bad thing. The railroad <laughs> strikes. Is oh, my God. List. Yes, right at the exact same time. So railroad workers and, – and for people that are unaware, this this episode will come out before December 9th. So there's a railroad strike planned for December 9th. That is if three goddamn years of negotiations fall through because the railroad uh, companies are failing to give sick days. I mean we're talking people – railroad workers – are working 300 to 350 days a year. No, no sick days. Not, not very many vacation days, if any. Um, they are worked to the bone. Their families are falling apart, and and it's just not working out for them. Um, and so they're on the verge of striking. Now their strike has been busted by the government freezing the strike before, and super supposedly pro labor Joe Biden is ready to turn around and do that again. So Congress is scrambling. He asked Congress. Yes, he asked Congress. And it's him and Pelosi going in to union bus. This is very much like Reagan with the air traffic control workers. Uh, But unlike the air traffic control workers, it's going to be a little hard. This is like Teddy Roosevelt with the fucking coal miners in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. so, but unlike unlike that, I mean, it's it's it, it's more like the coal miners where the strike can still happen. Like, this is not going to be a replacement with with government instituted scabs because there's just not there's not the scabs there that can fill these positions. Ready? It's more a matter of like government force, like legally forcing them to take this. Um, so, well, that the would thing make is, the strike is illegal. I brought Teddy Roosevelt up is that I I suspect that if the railroads do go on strike. You'll see the military have to take up the positions. Yes, and well, I think that is also what Reagan did a little bit with the air traffic control too. So that's usually that's usually the answer, right? I'm more of an that's, expert on Teddy Roosevelt than Reagan. So. Isn't that, that, that weird? No, that, that's that's fine. Um, the one's a little closer. Why would you know more about Teddy Roosevelt? I'm like, because he was a rough rider. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
But it's also, I mean, it's kind of similar to what DeSantis is doing, right? When he's been intimidating teachers out of jobs for daring to recognize racism exists, he's been just well, flinging I mean, the, cops into the classrooms too. Yeah, like uh, my uh, mother-in-law, her husband, uh, uh, he started a queer club at his school. Well, helped start one. Like he helped the students figure it yeah. out. And now it's you know his entire job's online because of it. It's like. You know, just like trying to give them a place where they could get together and express yeah. themselves. It's not even like they're trying to do things in the school. They're just trying to have a safe space after school. Yeah. It's just fucked. It's the the whole thing is fucked. Um, but yeah, so this this railroad train, and we've said a long time on the, the Marx Madness side of this, this is not a manufacturing economy. Like China is the factory of the world at this point. This is an import and export economy, and, a, and, and so people say service economy, but that's just what happens to fill jobs in an import and export economy because that services you being the consumer. Um, so the the main, the primary uh, part of the economy, other than resource extraction, of course, you know, locally through oil companies and around the world through the military and and, and oil companies and other natural resource extractions. Uh, is imports and exports, especially with so much imperialism bringing it in around the world. And so ports, railways, that kind of transportation, that's where you can get general strikes that truly threaten the economy. And they are scared that such a strike could bring the economy to its knees, which it could. And damn well, that just means that the workers have the power that they should have. And the government is trying to rob that away with intimidation to service their corporate buddies once again. And we well, stand- and one thing I'd like people to stop yeah. focusing on is like imperialism, the highest stage of capitalist conditions, right? So yes, we can talk about you know, the service representation and we can talk about our import export like tendencies, but this is all in terms of the capitalists, right? In terms of the worker, you know, our economy is like the most like representative our economy is to us is like just our everyday and how we have to live. Right. And so like we talked earlier about what we need for a solution is to focus on a caretaking economy. And that's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you look at what is the fastest growing industry, it's not, service it's literally healthcare it's elderly care and watching people die you know that's yeah. the fastest growing business right now um that's a sentence oh my god to say have we talked about made in canada at all we brought it up partially i mean okay like just it's fucked up that like that's gonna be here, you know, people yeah. are going to start suggesting that, you, you know, eugenics is okay. Well, euthanasia, but like, it's more eugenics. It's if you're poor, yeah, you I mean, shouldn't look, be allowed to carry forward. Yeah, th- this is why we're we're materialists. Okay, it's not like some amount of idealism can't be useful, but in idealism, you can go. This idea seems so good; it must happen. And in materialism, you're going, what is the impact and what is the evidence telling me what the impact will be? Um, this is our issue when we talk about gun control, right? Like we've talked about some of the issues with the way America has guns that serves the gun manufacturers. Our real issues that, that all the weapons manufacturers are here and that the white supremacy is here. But some of the way that serviced is the lax gun laws. But additionally, if the lax gun laws go away, you've got to think about how that will be enforced. That's not going to be a solution. That's just going to come down on non-white people. 
and it's going to throw more people into the prison industrial complex, right? Um, you know, you had the same thing in execution here. So MAID is assistance in death. It's it's euthanasia in Canada. And there are times where that is appropriate. There are people suffering who, you know, want to die and their health is in a situation where like every day of their life is pain and that's what they've chosen. But there's a very easy, slippery slope into eugenics. And in a capitalist economy in in a liberal settler colonial state that slippery slope is just a fucking slide that you're guaranteed to go down um you know another current event i was going to bring up that that's an execution was uh was the school bands in sweden um that people i don't think yeah, i don't know what this about. is oh what okay is so in sweden they have pushed to make all schools public stop private religious schools that sounds great right and they're stopping it by stopping the expansion not shutting the religious schools down that sounds all great here to us because of our history and i was gonna because, say why is, how could this be bad yes <laughs> uh well it's because in sweden a lot of islamic people have private islamic schools and this is continuing Islamophobia in Sweden. And of course, when you see this in application, it's not the Christian schools getting shut down in Sweden. It's hyper-targeting the Muslim schools. So, yeah. Okay. It's essentially an Islamic school ban. Uh, have you? Do you listen to Little Red Schoolhouse at all? I'm not. No. I, I need to. So they just recently put out a couple episodes about because they were in a long hiatus because it's two white dudes who feel like they've said all they could say. So they just want to platform people. Sure. Cool. Yeah, that's, um, that's fair. <laughs> At some point, me and Nathan are, are, are hoping to be there. So, you know, <laughs> look, I can read books for y'all if you want to just, you know. <laughs> I am David oh, and Nathan oh, now. Yeah, only, only if it's a given platform. If it's making you do the work, we're still here. Okay. So. okay. But, um, so like, uh, uh, he, oh, well, okay. Train of thought. Back on the rails. Uh, yeah. It's a Little Red Schoolhouse. <laughs> Little Red Schoolhouse released these couple episodes about COVID safe schools where it's like they attend 100% in person, but they've never had a case of COVID. Oh. And it's by following the guidelines. Who would have guessed yeah. that those work <laughs> if you're strict about them? Yeah. Masking regulations and, and ventilation and stuff Temperatures like that. Temperatures yeah. and stuff like that. But they're a private <laughs> school ran by communists. You know, oh, theoretically, okay. if we, I mean, if you're going to use the advantages given to you by the state, mm -hmm. you know, well, let, well, the advantages, if you're going to use the system the state gives you to work within the confines of, to yeah. your advantage, I should say. Um, <laughs> let me add in a couple more words, turn it around and say it again. <laughs> uh, but uh, as long as you do that, theoretically, private schools are going to be a solution. Or um, AIM did schools that were never accredited, but they were still called schools. They were called survival schools. Um, uh, Black Panthers did a lot of stuff like that, too. And, uh, like they played off of one another, and it was all inspired by PFLO and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Community-organized um, education, basically. Yeah, community-organized education, essentially. But this is one option to do it that um, seeks um, – a little more protection, I guess. Like, I feel like an AIM survival school would have to be a private school these days. That's just like, instead of like charging people an arm and a leg for tuition, you make do. Yeah. You know, if you can pay, you can pay. If not, whatever. Yeah. That kind of mentality. Um, which I think, I don't know, I, I think is good. 
I would like to hear. Yeah, make sure everybody has access. And if you have a little more, you make sure that that it stays there for everyone to have access. Yeah. Well, my logic is, is if communists pursue this avenue as one option for um, community outreach, um, Lenin said, give me a generation of kids, the world of communists. But, uh, (laughs) you know, that's one reason. Second reason, uh, you feed your community, uh, you teach your community. Mm -hmm. Those are incredibly useful ways to interact with your community and gain their trust. And then thirdly, um, just any, well, like even Republicans, what are they going to complain about? It's like yeah, kids they, are going to they, school in person. They 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 only want it for union busting and 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 to disrupt education, but they love private education. You yeah, know, it's they, like I, we're using the private model. You have no yeah. reason to be pissed at us. Yeah, That's and it's logic. it's good too because then you can teach real history. You can skirt like don't say gay bill so much as you can without right. just being well. That's a good by the point. You can skirt SROs. Well, like you could assert an indigenous perspective uh, mm-hmm. much more forwardly than the yeah. u.s allows like i feel like michigan and oregon are probably some of the well and washington are probably like some of the more advanced states on indigenous schooling and they're shit and you can bring people- in educational materials that are written by mcgraw hill yeah but uh freaking uh when i was in most people why is in california on that list it's like, well, because when I was in California, I met somebody who's writing their dissertation on how shitty California history has been to this day for indigenous yeah. people. So I know for a fact that they're not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> the other three have the benefit of the doubt for now. You know? <laughs> and that's based on like my own personal skilling in Michigan. And then yeah. just Oregon and Washington tend to be cooler. Cool. So I just assume. <laughs> I'm hoping. Hoping crush figures. Uh, also, kind of on that note, since we were talking about COVID prevention, too, something people need to be aware of. Obviously, COVID's still out there, right? It's killing a few hundred people a day. That's what we're recording. We're only reporting weekly. That's what's like 21 states reporting. People are dying. And two things about that. One, we need to be aware that it destroys your immune system. And we are having an extremely deadly flu season in addition to COVID. And it's not that the flu just mystically got better or that we're mischaracterizing this as COVID because these are being tested for COVID and flu and strep and things like that. It's that people are dying or going into the ICU for a flu at rates that haven't been seen before because people's immune systems are being destroyed by COVID. And so it's all the more reason to protect from other diseases, which masks also work for incredibly. Um, but also it's all the more reason to protect yourself from COVID as well. And that brings us to something that's been going on that's in the news. Now, whenever people see a protest in another country, and they only seem to see the protests in the ones the U.S. targets. There's, you know, there's never seeing the protests in, you know, in all Puerto the other Rico's countries. Puerto Rico's having protests. And yeah. Mexico's having some of the largest protests in the world right now. But We've that's... been talking about the Haitian uprisings for two years now. You know, they're, But you know what's it, really important right now? You know what's worthy to take over the Ukraine news cycle? <laughs> China China's is having, having a labor tech. dispute uh-huh. in an autonomous region. Yes. So it's yes. not really so, China having the labor dispute. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's, there's essentially, there's, uh, to my understanding, two sets of protests going on in China. One in Urumqi, um, which is in the Xinjiang autonomous region. That's the capital of it. And then one in Shanghai. And um, the protest 
uh, are largely supposedly about the uh, zero COVID policy, which we call it zero COVID, right? China doesn't call it that. China calls it the people first policy. And it's because they're protecting people short term and long term from a pandemic. And if you remember, like Wuhan was opened back up six months in the pandemic when we were in full lockdown because they did the shit right. They had pool parties. Right. And everyone was disgusted. How could they be doing this? And it's like. Because they addressed it properly, dumbasses. No, Uh, they locked everybody in their house and systematically killed the sick. That's the god. (laughs) Um, See, me, I'm I'm, I'm, this is my Maoist arc. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, and and what? Of course, people will believe just anything right there were people there was stuff going around on social media about like oh iranians are going to be punished and have their families disappear if they lose a soccer game and shit it's like come the fuck on um i mean after losing to the u.s though <laughs> that that does kind of should have that I don't, i'm just saying <laughs> but, i saw anyway. that and i was like iran come on <laughs> it's the u.s of all people i know i know how could you not get up for that game more um but, but anyway, I uh, bet you the CIA was in there with itching powder and mm-hmm. shit cream. Yes, but these these protests. So there's uh, labor disputes in Arumchi, which I think mostly spur from Foxconn uh, employees. Which Foxconn? So for China's economy, it's it's a centralized economy. Most employees are public. They they work for the state of China. There's it's either like thirty or forty percent work for private corporations. Of those, I know the numbers changed because of so much drastic yeah. economic growth. Yeah, well, I want to say, well, I mean, it is gross, but it's not the capitalist version of growth. It's just, yeah, like, wow, the country is actually doing well. As yeah, a whole, instead of just <laughs> the number go up. Yep, light light go up. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, but China has always been like most of the physical country and most of the population works in a centralized economy. There are pockets where there is a liberal economy and certain companies are allowed to, you know, basically bring in other Western investment and things like that and have private. They have a little economies. more lax labor rules. Yes. In like yes. Hong Kong, they, they have their own constitution. Taiwan's and, another situation. Right. And used to be across, directly across from Hong Kong that used to be one of the more the leading like private economy kind of pockets and it's turned into like it's moved a lot of that economy into being centralized and being a more traditional city you know like Beijing you so actually like uh, one of my favorite Chinese video game developers were there and then yeah. they moved to Hong Kong after the changes and I was like you fuckers suck, I bet. <laughs> well, and then, like, they released an update to this game I liked playing where the level was Hyperborea, and I went, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Why is Nazi propaganda in this children's game? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so of those private uh of those private employees and of that private section of China's economy, the largest employer is Foxconn. What they do is they make electronics. They make like your iPhone. They make your Nintendo Switch. In fact, there's an entire like season that they dedicate most of their production to the Apple uh, release cycle. Yes, yes. If you have anything Apple or anything Nintendo or Sega or anything like that and it says made in China, it's made by Foxconn. Okay, 
And so they're the largest private employee. And they're actually Taiwan-based. They're, they're not mainland China-based, but they are the main uh, private employer in mainland China. And so they've well, had it's labor. It's sort of like how we have like a billion companies based out of Delaware, but they all like operate in another state. So, <laughs> oh, taxes. I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's been labor disputes there in Arumchi. And actually, um, I've seen a lot of white people directing things there. So there's some like concerns with color revolution, but I think it's more of an organic well, labor dispute. One, one of the things I loved, I mean, it is, it's organic. It's hundred yeah. percent. Like, I think it's organic. It's the same with, yeah, it's a labor dispute. I, like no, c- countries have protests that yeah. don't want to topple the government that well, are organically had because they have issues. That's how East Germany got to be kind of the world leader in LGBTQ plus rights until their unfortunate collapse in well, the nineties. Right. Uh, like, uh, it's just like with the Ira- Iranian stuff. It's like Iranian, sorry, but uh, Iranian. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Iranian stuff, like uh, you, you can have organic shit start, and then you'll have Western actors come in to try to co-opt it, right? Yeah, and we saw that really bad with Lebanon, like right before or Hong the Kong explosion. You know, let's just stick to China. Like, yeah, all of a sudden you see. British monarchy flags waving. And you're like, yeah, yeah and it's being led by Joshua Wong, who's a known uh, U.S. asset who is trained in, in Canvas. You know, that's, yeah, I mean, it's... Mm. But so, like, <laughs> you know, with this, uh, the BBC reporter who was there was shouting things like, down with a G and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then they reported protesters calling for... Uh, G to resign, and it's like that's your reporter. Yeah, that's, that's your that's reporter. That's not a protester. That's your reporter. <laughs> and then they're like, there was like a, I forget what the sign said specifically, but some liberal like media people wrote some signs and put them up in Chinese yeah. and fucking uh, like it just said like a bunch of like poorly grammatic like grammatic like how do you say that? here I am talking about bad grammar, but. <laughs> <laughs> They did poor grammar in Chinese. I don't know how I would say that. Smart. Yeah, poorly translated Chinese, basically. Yeah, there we go. Poorly translated Chinese, like Google Translate Chinese, and fucking. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know, like whatever. I say Chinese. I'm ignorant as shit. I try not to talk about this shit. It's not my country. <laughs> it's, it's it should be simplified Mandarin. I think, yeah, simplified region. Mandarin. It's, it's Cantonese across the south and simplified Mandarin across most of north northern eastern and central china right see um, there's so many complexities and it's like it's not that i don't know these things it's just that they're hard to articulate as somebody who it doesn't matter to really i'm just saying sure. this stuff because it matters to like the audience of this show yeah and it's like it doesn't it shouldn't fox no Con no when we say chinese the lar- I think one of the know. largest employers in wisconsin yeah okay <laughs> let's worry about Foxconn here if yeah. we're mad at them there Yes. All right. Yes. Because Wisconsin yeah. still has a seven twenty five minimum wage. Uh huh. Um, and so simultaneously, there was also been, an, and it's been in, in Shanghai, I believe. I saw uh, there was some protests against. Uh, the zero COVID policies, most of that, it, it's because there's excesses and the Chinese government basically responded like, this is a people first policy. We should be putting people first. We found that there's, you know, there's excesses and we shouldn't have that. But basically China's doing this, you know, they've had like 6,000 people die. Um, 
over the course of of a, three years of the pandemic. Could you, you know, imagine? Man. That's such a low number. I know we're in the millions. Like they, and there's no they way they have a reason to be mad about lockdowns, and we, we're over here going, "We hate lockdowns," and we have like millions of people. It's like, yeah, this is have, insane. <laughs> we have 1.1 million people officially dead. Our excess deaths are somewhere between four and five million. It's and and most of that is probably COVID deaths or immune systems compromised by COVID. Um, it's just absurd how bad things have been. And they're like 6,000 people dead, you know. Um, it's and, and a lot of those are in like Hong Kong, <laughs> you know, because Hong Kong wasn't locking down as well. Um, so And yeah. also like Hong Kong is like <sighs> – they do not have as good of regulations on housing and stuff. Like, yes, oh my god, people sleep I in cages and shit. In Hong Kong just is horrible. Gross. Hong yeah. Kong is compared to like the rest of China. Like, I mm. bet you they weren't like spraying down the streets all the time, like mainland. I don't know. Well, I'm just saying. There, I know there's workers that specifically clean up the streets, but a lot of them during those like Joshua Wong led protests had to concentrate all their efforts on cleaning up that shit. Well, so, and also, you know, trying not to get like fucking maimed by yeah, trying to get a brick thrown shirts. at their head for for yeah. you know not hating the the central government. It's like fuck. We're um, actually just trying to survive this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, there. I mean, there have been excesses. There's been like you know, a person would go to a hospital with a heart attack and then not be admitted in time when they normally right. would be and die. Or well, people I mean, have been kept in very small apartments for a long amount of time and had enough food to survive, but not as much food as they should have or been promised. Like there's been struggles with it, but but same here in the U.S. And yeah, like, exactly. And and here it's and just actually not- it's a regular problem that doesn't end <laughs> after COVID. It, yeah, it absolutely. Continues. It's and it's just driven by by poverty, and then pointed to is somehow your fault if you're a victim of it here. Well, like our so, hospital demands copay at time of service, unless it's like emergency service specifically. You now like, we have, we have, and I'm not going to get too much of my personal health right now, but but I've been dealing with stuff with my personal health because imaging. You go to a hospital for imaging, and they're charging you out the nose even when you're fully insured. You you've got we've got third party printers. imaging companies because of that. Fucking money printers is what they call a CAT scan. Yeah, just like it, it costs something like less than a million dollars, and you'll make that money back tenfold in the first year it, with like yeah. the current market pricing. Yeah, the our, fact that we have market pricing on our healthcare is stupid. It should mm-hmm. just be a flat rate. Yeah, <laughs> so that way hospitals aren't charging people out the ass for taking a picture. Yep. So, uh, but long story short, China's doing better than us on COVID. We should look to them, even with them doing better than basically the rest of the world, partially because they have a socialist government that cares about people and partially because they have State experience. Sorry. I, I hate <laughs> Mao's turn. Mao's turn. Uh, and, uh, Chinese discourse. I have to add in the, the bullshit so people know <laughs> I know what they're going to say. Yeah. I have too um, many Maoists who listen to me. <laughs> to not throw this out, and I just want you to know how I feel about that opinion. <laughs> uh, but also, also the other factors in is they've you know they've been dealing with COVID this time like us. They saw it firsthand when it first broke out, and they dealt with SARS in the early two thousands. They've learned things and they're applying it. Um, well, and, I, well and we can like learn it, from them. Yeah, but I love how everybody they wear masks there because of the pollution. It's like no, <laughs> public transit's dirty. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and they realize it. They're they're the most densely populated country in the world, and they've had epidemics and pandemics before. They they know how this shit works. I've it's seen somebody the, take a life. shit on a New York subway, so I'm listen, <laughs> wear a mask. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, point is, anytime you see a protest in another country, you don't have to weigh in. If you're going to weigh in, gather the information first. Think about the effect of even bringing it up and how you're presenting it when you do. Uh, but don't just stand in solidarity and not even think because, yeah. Just investigate. Jesus. <laughs> um, well, and even then, like, I don't investigate very far into this China stuff because every time I look at it, it goes, oh, wow, nuance. What yeah. a shocker. Yeah, you you wait. Usually, like, a little more information pours in. It's like, oh, that makes sense, you know? Yeah, and, you're just and, like, okay. Whatever. Well, there's there's that with anything. You remember when, like, supposedly there was going to be, like, 15,000 Iranian protesters killed or something, and then the details oh, came in, and it was God. like, I yeah. saw that, and I was like... At some point, when it starts sounding like the bullshit you hear about the DPRK that you should know is bullshit, you should maybe go, "Mm." fucking feet to the dogs. Come on. Yep. Um, But with that, I say we either pivot to the reading unless you want to weigh in on the train being tipped over in what sort of territory. Don't tip over trains unless, like, it's in Beverly Hills, people. (laughs) Let me tell you, we don't need any more oil spills on our land. I understand how annoying it is. <laughs> Get but the we, enthusiasm. We need, we That's need, nice. We need to plan better. Yeah. Senseless destruction that hurts us in the long run doesn't help us. It's just wanton destruction at that point. It's a yeah. cathartic release of your revolutionary fervor that could have been constructively done instead of fucking... You know, <sighs> Immaturely done. I don't know quite how to say it, but just you know, just remember that water water it. protection is is about protecting water and the creatures that depend on it, not so about maybe, feeling like you did something. So putting oil in the water, yeah, is not, good. not a good idea. Not good. like if you're going to complain that people like this is what happens when you complain people aren't doing extreme enough actions when it's just painting symbols of power and like fucking glass covered paintings. Like I get that. That's not that serious, but that's a far more constructive propaganda of the deed than dumping oil in the watershed. You're trying to protect. Oh yeah. And, and remember if you're going to do something extreme, like, Stuff like chaining, you know, weapons manufacturers' door shuts, that's a more effective extreme thing, but also realize the repercussions of that and that you're not the first person to do that. So that's also, another action with its own risk. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe rethink that plan. It's going to be like <laughs> a 30 minute issue, maybe an hour. T- depends on if the locksmiths close, you know, <laughs> or if they have one in their truck. Yeah. I have a bolt cutter for the very reason of sometimes chains get in the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, everybody should have a bolt cutter if you're a revolutionary. Anyhow, yeah. uh, into the reading before we say something criminalizing. <laughs> <laughs> Many of. Oh, oh, oh let, so we're going to jump back to the last paragraph we ended on for a refresher. Oh. Excuse me. Cut that out. <laughs> Little burp just escaped. <laughs> okay. 
Many of these lenders... Okay, maybe we should jump back further. (laughs) Who are these lenders? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, the Homestead Act gave large tracts of these lands as well... God damn it, Indian lands. uh, As well as those recently secured by U.S. Army violence to white settlers for cheap and was repealed only in 1975. Um, I'm... Jumping back two paragraphs, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) But I just want to say that 1975 number again. Okay. Because that's after Wounded Knee. Okay. So when people are like, oh, uh, I don't have any settlers in my bloodline. My dad was born literally the next year. So it's like, there's no way you don't have settlers in your bloodline. You know how I know? Because I have settlers in my bloodline. <laughs> it doesn't get more fucking salt of the earth than my family, but I still have settlers. I'm Indian, but I still have settlers in my blood. Holy shit. Fuck it. Just be honest. Fuck. Anyway, sorry. I'm yelling. Um, no, <laughs> no, I'm I'm more saying sorry to my baby. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Okay, after, fair enough. After and what uh, we said earlier from uh, our history is the future that it's something like a quarter of adults are be- are a direct descendants of beneficiaries of the Homestead Act. There are still beneficiaries of the Homestead Act alive. Nineteen seventy five is not a long time ago. My grandpa was born in like fifty two. You know, like, anyway, after transferring millions of acres of land to white settlers as indigenous nations became dislocated from their lands and forms of subsistence, the, they increasingly became forced into wage labor. Well, and for example, flooding our lands. So we literally have no other choice but become wage slaves uh, for the very settlers who stole their land. They also were forced to rely on nearby trading posts and mercantile stores to exchange rug weavings, pottery, and wool for everyday necessities. Settlers, on the other hand, were largely dependent on indigenous labor in the early years of westward expansion. And to this day, well, first off, Lewis and Clark quite literally relied on indigenous labor to even do colonialism. Like, uh, you you guys can't even fucking colonize us on your own. Like, you need us. You just need us. The reason you're doing so bad is because you stopped relying on us in any shape or form. That's my opinion. Anyway, like, if you had more Indians in there that were, like, hawks that wanted U.S. empire, that were, like, scouts is what we call them, or, like, Uncle Tomahawks, you know, if you had some of those motherfuckers in government, I bet you fucking this would be a fascist wet dream. Oh, my God. Get some of fucking, like, Navajo Nation presidents in there. Fucking, they're like, yeah, Raytheon's our best friend. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, Zanay friends, but you know what's up. <laughs> we go off the rails when Nathan's not here. Yeah, uh, no, there's so much to talk about, but and I'm the one doing the reading primarily, usually. So, <laughs> so anyway... um. Many of those lenders, pawn shops, and trading posts offer indigenous people small profit for family heirlooms or artwork while selling these items at a higher price to white collectors, museums, and wealthy individuals. Car dealerships, payday lenders, and other predatory business prey on indigenous people on and off reservations by locking them into an endless cycle of debt. This relationship of capitalist exploitation and border tens continues uh, 
the long history of colonial extraction from indigenous people's lands and labor. These border towns, like other along the, like those along the southern border, are locations of extreme levels of surveillance, policing, and violence in order to contain the threat of indigenous existence that contradicts the myth of settler society. Uh, the continued presence of native people signifies the inc- incompleteness of the settler project, which responds with anti-indigenous violence. So when you wonder why are so many people anti-land back, it is quite literally this phenomenon f- manifesting itself. You know, it, when, when you have people who just, Oh, you can't, you can't listen to land back. You can't listen to land back. Ultimately, you get down to it, and it's this just they don't like being called settlers and being reminded that there is a genocidal project going on, and erasing us only continues it. Yeah, it's it's the um, again, I, I cannot remember. I brought it up before. It was the Brazilian uh, communist that wrote about how we talk about other countries and we talk about, you know, oh, the, the, you know, um, uh, Confucian roots of of China and you know whatever, and no one talks about the Christian roots of settler society in the United States and how that affects culture and how that creates even in the most atheistic white people, um, just this culture and, and it really sinks into individualism. This culture of martyrdom, right, of sainthood. You've got to be perfect, and. So if you can't reckon with the sin and personally find it and you can't get it forgiven through a Christian God um, in a political sense, because that doesn't make any sense in a political sense, then the only thing it can leave you with in your sainthood is being a sinner. You can't you can't be the saint. So it's deny, deny, deny. And this traps so many people, so many people into things like being pro cop, even though they're not a fucking cop and being, you know, racist or, you know, uh, anti land back or things like that, because they don't want to be the bad guy. Um, this is also how people get trapped in the whole thing of like, oh, you don't want to support the, the red fash bad guy, totalitarian, blah, 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 socialist country. You're, you know, you're supporting like you're a Stalin. It like everybody's Janky. afraid to. Yeah, tanky. Everybody's afraid to be the bad thing. And so they just disavow everything when it's caught being bad. And then when they can't disavow it because it's inherently part of who they are, they deny it and they say it shouldn't be listened to. And it's just this obsession with being the great martyr. You cannot be the great martyr. This is a societal project where we reckon truly reckon with what has happened and take material action to fix those conditions so that things can be just or you don't. Those are the only choices fact, you have. We shouldn't There's no just great take martyrdom. material action. We should take indigenous action that ultimately saves our earth. Yes. Like the... <laughs> sorry. I just saw an opportunity for a stupid show. It's a great, great opportunity to plug the book we're reading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is how you do it, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, I'll, like, it's tr- like I, I, I think I, we've said enough on the topic, but it's just very frustrating to watch people ignore, I guess, the obvious. Uh, when it comes to like, you know, like the idea, like I love, like uh, I, I'm trying to remember the Brazilian piece and exactly what it said. Yeah. Cause like, I, I haven't read it that many times. So like, I'm, it's not one of those pieces like I can recall. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I've only read it like two or three times. So but it's, there's it's, uh, one piece where they, 
they mention how little they talk about indigenous um, people, like uh-huh. in their own conversations. Yet Bolsonaro, you know, ran explicitly on the genocide. Yeah, and it's like the, if the left can't figure out where we need an alliance, well, you're a fool. You know, and it's, I mean, it, I would say the indigenous people had a huge role to play in Lula's victory. Yeah. Um, but that's a biased opinion, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so in many cities, laws prohibited indigenous people from living within the city limits unless they were servants to wealthy whites who agreed to house them on their property out of sight. While these laws have since been repealed or evolved, uh, into anti-vagrancy laws that criminalize homelessness, handhandling, and even resting in public, border towns have a long history of violent anti-Indian sentiment. A common form of violence inflicted upon indigenous people is Indian rolling, or the target assault, torture, and murder of native people. The term was first used in 1974 to describe a gang of white teenagers who murdered unsheltered Diné men in the border town of Farmington, New Mexico. The history of anti-Indian violence is, of course, much older than this. 1972, Raymond Yellow Thunder gets stripped naked, cigarettes burnt on him, thrown into an American Legion dance hall, you know, and according to the white people, oh, no, everybody rushed to help him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, of course, there's a bunch of contradictory accounts of that. You know, <laughs> of course. And then, like, uh, you know, uh, this town didn't prosecute the boys who did that until AIM came in and fucking had a riot. Okay. So, you know, I don't want to hear shit <laughs> from the wife. Everybody rushed to his help because that man died of exposure, according to the coroner, uh, after being beaten brutally, you know, like, um, yeah, that sounds like the natural result of that situation. Yeah, yeah, you don't die from exposure getting a lot of attention. That's- right, and, uh, you know, this is unfortunately very common uh, as far as, like, servitude. It evolved where, um, like, the foster care system, because it didn't exist yet. Um, but instead of going to a boarding school, they would kidnap children and send them to clean white people's houses, like poor white people's houses. Oh, geez. Like I mean, like when you think your family was poor in North Dakota or South Dakota, they probably had a fucking Indian slave come to their house biweekly. You Jesus know, Jesus Christ. And most people don't realize that it's fucked up history, and you should stop talking before you investigate, or else you'll be accidentally denying genocide because of how deep this shit goes. Yeah, and there's and again that that this great martyrdom thing. You don't want to be genocide deniers. So some people will believe like, like you can make up a genocide and then anybody doesn't, doesn't go on with it as a genocide denier, but then people will deny real genocides and they will keep at it because they don't want to be the bad guy or they just didn't know. And right. they and don't care if to, they to learn. submit then like, I mean, I've straight up had communists go, Oh, I've been called a genocide denier. I don't know how many times. And it's like, you should not be comfortable being called a genocide denier. That's yeah. something you should want to question first off. I don't care how often, because it's like a lot of if people it's, did die. If it's thrown around for uh, bullshit, the concern is is the bullshit, not the being called genocide denier, right? You know? Yeah. Like the holodomer, yeah, people died, whatever. It wasn't a genocide yeah. because it wasn't systemically like in, in, inputted. 
You right. Know. It was it was a regular famine actually across the whole USSR, not just Ukraine. And and uh you know, so you're not a genocide denier for not calling that a genocide. That's the mainstream liberal view for fuck's sake. Just because you deal with that bullshit doesn't mean you should be just okay whenever someone else says you're a genocide denier. Like that's the most contrarian point of view to adopt. Yeah, from materialism and, like that's and, not materialist yeah and contrarianism doesn't get you anywhere that often leads you right back right to fascism. reaction yeah yeah right into reaction i mean yeah. i wouldn't say fascism but reaction, well, reaction at all yes yes i'm just being nice to the reactionaries <laughs> um so i'm going to quote page six of red nation rising border town violence in america uh for its relevance We call all of this the border town. Settler colonialism has so transformed the world we live in. Oh, by the way, this section is called From the Plantation to the Border Town. So it's trying to draw an explicit connection to um, like such phenomenons as sundown towns, which are oftentimes border towns and fit quite nicely into the theory. Um, Anyway... Settler colonialism has so transformed the world we live in that few settlers see their cities as spatial expressions of settler violence. The world instead took on other meanings. The border town must commonly describe the border town most commonly describes the cities and towns along the recognized international borders, such as the U.S.-Mexico border. Oh, and you know, actually, it's quite interesting that we don't consider the Canadian border border towns m- many times. Like it's explicitly a border to the other, right? Um, which is just an interesting observation I've made. Uh, so anyway, which I, it's a whole thing. Uh, sure. Yeah. You'll find out about it later. I don't know. When I quote this specific section of an episode of Mark's Madness, <laughs> they're considered, uh, these are considered the borders that matter in the everyday life of a settler. We draw a native vernacular an everyday language of resistance to recognize the borders that settlers ignore. These borders exist everywhere. Settler order confronts native order. And since we find this confrontation everywhere in settler society, everything in a settler world is a border, and every settler is haunted by this border. A native presence that should not exist, that blurs the edges of a settler ontology. This fundamental contradiction compels settlers to act like settlers. They sense the threat, but cannot name it. They are always on the defensive. And so commonly this defensiveness called white fragility uh, then exemplifies itself as settlers struggle or refuse to struggle with colonialism and the land question as Lenin, Mao, Ho Chi Minh, Stalin, Matui, and many, many more have written uh, with regard to the colonial contradiction, it has to be properly addressed for a successful movement and vanguard to emerge from the current settler domination. Uh, Where's the... Uh, Yeah, I guess that's not the right thing. That doesn't see... Yeah, I'm just going with the dreams. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. Mic drop. That's what I wanted, but it turned into a... We were getting there. It turned into like a punchline thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm right, more of a um, comedian, you see. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
back back to the book. In addition to the state violence enacted by the U.S. military during the Indian Wars, private settlers, militias, and companies engaged in decades of unilateral violence against indigenous people. State and federal governments paid the settlers paid these settlers for their service in volunteer militias that hunted, killed, and captured indigenous people throughout the western states. They collected bounties for scalps and body parts and often took it upon themselves to organize and arm these militias to wage genocide against native people. And I don't know if the authors just didn't know this because of the lack of California natives represented. Um but I learned from them how common it is across all 50 states that uh, many of the former state currencies before we had a centralized currency uh, were based in war bonds against natives. Uh, something I've mentioned several times throughout the series. Um, but ultimately, like this is what the Second Amendment is actually for, if you want to know. It, <laughs> quite literally... It's what is it? The Constitution or the Bill of Rights? Something like that. We the people. Whatever. Yeah, it's it's the the Bill of Rights is the 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 first ten amendments of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. So the Bill of Rights fucking says, uh, in like to defend against slave revolts and the uh, merciless Indian savage on our border. You know, like the Second Amendment is not about the government. The Second Amendment yeah, is they- about you murdering Indians. Okay, yeah. this whole fucking, you know, white savior complex fucking Americans have that we're the freedom fighters of the world isn't true. It's made up. It's a fantasy land. If you actually believe it as a communist, you're a child. Okay, time to grow up. Okay, sorry. I don't like fucking inf- infantilizing people, but it's time to grow up. Those are fairy tales. We tell children in kindergarten to make them feel good about themselves as Americans, because it's a horrible country to live in. Well, also, and and, and let's be clear too, because American exceptionalism gets brought up a lot and people will pretend like recognizing that we have different material conditions so that, you know, revolutionary defeatism and push against hegemonic empire or land back and decolonialism apply to us. They'll be like, that's American exceptionalism. And it's like, no, that's fucking not. That's recognizing our material conditions. It's actually the but, opposite of it. And it's because yeah. you're so historically illiterate. You don't know the conversation around American exceptionalism. But thinking the American revolution was a revolution or that America stands for freedom or that we should hold up these values or anything about the settler colony. That is American exceptionalism. That that's what you have to combat. So this anti-Indian violence has evolved over the centuries into the forms of border town violence we face today. For example, Indian rolling is an ongoing issue in border towns where mostly white and Hispanic teenagers and men target native people. Be- Hispanic. Okay. This is like, you see the intersectionality going on here. Like this is like when you look at a Hispanic person, you can't just automatically go, Oh, they won't participate in, you know, white supremacy because Mexico is usually, you know, like it, it's a settler colony, depending on where we're talking about. Like, I guess Chiapas has a little argument, little wiggle room but <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. Like, I don't want to hear Mexicans go, we're different because like right now there's this huge push Disney's leading for race shifting, you yeah. know, like when you have, when you try to race shift an entire country, out of like genocidal guilt that's next level fucking i mean you're making a skin suit out of us at that point your leather face 
Okay, that's a disgusting parallel to be able to draw. Ooh, um, especially given like the anti-Indian violence the Mexican state perpetuates on places like Chiapas. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, of the uh, anyway, target Native people because of these deep underlying logics of anti-Indianism. In 2014, three Hispanic teenagers attacked three Diné men in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and bludgeoned two of them to death while one narrowly escaped. The three teenagers expressed no remorse and were described by the media as unmotivated by racial hate. Yet, as we have seen, they were practicing a long American tradition of anti-Indian violence. This violence also takes on a particular gendered form in border towns, especially in areas where resource extraction occurs. Indigenous women, non-men, and trans and non-binary people experience high rate, higher rates of violence, more than any other race, inflicted by white supremacy and heteropatriarchy. MMIWG2S, which will be described more thoroughly in part two, Heal Our Bodies, is rarely framed as a form of border town violence, and both are described as a recent phenomenon. And so this is where we'll stop, and I want people to, we only made it through a page, but I want people to digest everything we just got through. Like, there's a lot in this episode. I was going to say, there's a lot of content for one page. Like, holy shit. And I also read a whole other book. I even like grabbed it off my shelf. You didn't see it. Like I had it in my notes annotated, but I was like, we all know what happens when I try to read my notes. (laughs) Let's grab the book. (laughs) So, but like, it's, uh, you know, like the MMIWG2S plus movement is what movement, you know, phenomenon is border town violence. It's not a phenomenon in so far as, it's a continuation of a, a phenomenon that's known best through native vernacular that encompasses it as border town violence. Yeah. Well, and it, that's violence that began when you landed on Plymouth rock. <laughs> uh, it's also something even in, in uh, current events that ties in, you know, we were just talking about like water protection. And as this paragraph talked about the resource extraction, you can see, this oh, yeah, you know, that, yeah. this violence goes across, <laughs> but also uh, we've talked about like the DEA and and the CIA running drugs uh, up from Colombia through Mexico. Sure, that and plays stuff. into it. Or and you have the, the FBI directly forming out of man camps in uh, uh-huh. the logging in man camps for Ford's um, yes. uh, Model T. A lot of people don't realize that has a lot of MMIW like stuff involved. Uh, Killer of the Flowering Moon, we've mentioned. As a uh-huh. good book on that. Um, what other good so, examples that people don't think about? Um, let's see. I mean, mascots, Indian mascots yeah. in general. Like the fact that Just, I, I mean, I can't watch anything without fucking hearing some anti-Indian shit on accident. Like the amount of times I'll just be like listening to something that's like, you've got off the reservation. And it's like, that's, yeah. Think like, about what that term. expression came from. It's like people. That, that's a military term. It's like, where do you? Uh huh. Who who did the genocide? Yeah, the U.S. military. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where do you think they got the term for somebody who's not listening and is out of place? It's drama. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> But like, you know, people like need to start making these connections because it's everywhere. And as soon as you open up your eyes, it's, I mean, it's just like when you first discover Marxism to me and it's this whole next level to your education that you can go into. And it's 
wild. I mean, the fact that you can't go anywhere on a road trip without seeing an Indian name. I dare you to try. You can't. Yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> it's impossible. No. And so many Our people, it, it's a tribute to the, the people. And it's, no, it's not. It's not. But no, actually, most of the time, it is a direct attempt to erase. Literally yes. 90% of our like our like of our surface level architecture and stuff like that that was available destroyed and wiped out on purpose just to erase us from the continent. I mean they yeah. put the Parthenon in Tennessee, you know, the replica over fucking indigenous site. It, yeah. fucking uh there was over like 12,000 mounds or something like that in Minnesota. Not one exists today. Uh, oh yeah, they, in Cahokia <laughs> they act like they've preserved. Like there's a few mounds preserved in, in Cahokia, but that was a whole in, region where? mostly destroyed. Cahokia, Illinois. Uh, is that is that the Snake Mound? Yeah, uh, it's there. There's like I think there's like six big mounds left. Well, and yeah, but yeah, like they're never fucking close to yeah. the like where it once was. Like yeah. uh, Snake Mountain is probably one of the most famous ones. It's along the Mississippi, so that's why I was wondering. Um I can't remember where. Uh but like uh you know like this uh, like the why do you watch ancient aliens? Well because they obfuscate this history and so many people will now hear these facts from an indigenous person and go, Oh yeah, but don't you think that was like some sort of like Atlantean culture? <laughs> Jeez. And it's like no, I don't. I don't like participating in Nazi thought experiments. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, honest with you. The like, idea behind it is always people couldn't build this. They must because they weren't white enough, so it had to be aliens. It's well, like, like the fuck. The, the, well, the Atlantis shit gets into uh, like it hides the one world culture shit, and then once you get into one world culture shit, you get into the Aryan race shit. That's right into Nazis, <laughs> Hyperborea. Anyway, like uh, some pathos tried to call Turtle Island the Hyperborea for the left. And it's like, Turtle Island actually fucking exists. How high are you right now? (laughs) Like, that you have to, like, the United States doesn't actually exist. Turtle Island, that exists. Yeah. It's the entire continent. Yeah. The fact that we call this section Canada, this section the United States, and this section fucking Mexico, now that's corny as fuck. I don't. Like I get it, Turtle Island is kind of corny, but it's some it's another culture's traditions. The, the reason I'm abandoning it is because there's a whole conversation you have to have because so many fucking idiots are, you know, finding ways to dismiss people as quickly as they can. So as soon as they hear Turtle Island now, that's going to be a buzzword that they're going to go, "Oh, you're just quoting some white liberal from 1976." It's like, yeah, that's who I'm quoting. Yeah. Not at all the Indians he learned from. You know, 1976, what major things just went on? Oh, Leonard Peltier killed two FBI agents, supposedly. Uh, That's that's only a little popular at the time. You know, just a tab. (laughs) It made world news. They had a protest in, you know, Red... uh, Is it Red Square in Moscow? Yeah, Red Square. Yeah, they had a protest in Red Square uh, for Leonard Peltier. Like... You do not realize how ingrained AIM is in left history, and you yeah. need to, because Jesus Christ, are we behind on our analysis? And I feel like once the left starts learning about it, like I'm thinking about doing a Marx Madness on my pod of just reading AIM books. Oh, just autobiographies and shit. I'm like, why great. not? That's yeah. useful. 
Yeah. It's entertaining as shit. I mean, like Dennis Banks is an interesting man to learn about. Hearing Russell Means' version of the stories compared to Clyde Bellacourt's and Dennis's is always interesting. I get to add in, you know, these personal stories and how I've related to these people. Like I was supposed to get Clyde's last interview. Unfortunately, he never quite recovered well enough. I'm about to tear up. I'm sorry. I mean, like he's a hero, you know, like, yeah. I can't say that enough. Like, the, despite the problems these men had, you know, like they did a lot, you know, and I feel like if communists followed their example and did better than them, the world might be a better place. You know, that's what I dream of. And it's maybe utopian and idealist, but I don't see a lot of different strategies that the left's offering up. And I'm one of the few people saying, what if we looked at AIM, you know, to learn from? I, I don't think there's anything that's not materialist about using past revolutionaries as examples. Well, the argument comes, are they revolutionaries? Action. And the question well, becomes, yes. what is a revolutionary? If we're willing to call the founding fucking fathers revolutionaries well, on the yeah, left. They're not. <laughs> no, but that's the shit. There's literally idiots out here going, Marx used to talk to Lincoln, so that makes him cool. And it's like, at the time, he's talking to Lincoln – Crazy Horse exists. Yeah. Who would have been a better revolutionary and progressive figure to talk to about the material conditions of America at that time? Somebody well, who's engaged in guerrilla warfare against the United States trying to genocide them. Or somebody who's trying to end the Civil War without freeing the slaves. Well, and, and on top of that, you know, Marx was not talking to Lincoln because, like, he saw Lincoln as the greatest revolutionary in the continent. He's he the president was, of the United States. He was the president of the United States. And, and Marx was like, hey, um, you should, like, abolish that slavery thing. The labor movement in Europe believes in that. Like, that's what it was about. It wasn't Marx thinking, like, Lincoln was a great revolutionary who needs to be put on a pedestal. And it's just a gross mischaracterization to say We shouldn't that. have to have this conversation, frankly. No. Yeah. Frankly. I mean, the fact that there are people on the left who are baby leftists, or perhaps they've been that misguided that they need to be told Lincoln is not good just because he talked to Marx and just because he freed the slaves because he had to and literally said that. You know, (laughs) like, I don't care what came after that sentence. He said, if I didn't have to, I would have. Yeah. You know, like, that's fucked. I don't, you shouldn't say that sentence. Stop. Full stop. Yep. Backtrack. All right. Yep. I mean, it's, 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 it's a pretty simple contradiction to go through, right? The, the Confederate apologists will say, oh, the war wasn't about slavery. Well, it was. And they'll go, well, Lincoln didn't want to free the slaves. Well, no, of course he didn't. The war was about slavery because, and it's broke out because Lincoln represented abolitionism. He wasn't that steadfast about it. And the South made it about slavery because the South made it a war to preserve the slavery. That doesn't mean Lincoln needs to be put on a pedestal. It's not well, a The argument always to comes down out. to it. It's, an, it's, it's the economy, right? But it's an yeah. economy based on slavery. That's yeah. the base. Remember, yeah, it's like it's, it's states rights. Well, the one state right that was different from the Constitution was the well, slavery. Right. States you know? rights never represents a good argument. Like we, yeah. we've talked in this series that states rights has represented literally the genocide of Indian people. First mm-hmm. in the building of the Pixelon Dams. And now we see yeah. with ICWA, the Supreme Court kicking it yeah. back to states rights. Yeah. I mean, 
it's so like apparent and in your face. Like, I, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Like the fact that we have a patriotic socialist issue in the year of our Lord, 2022, <sighs> the state of the left, my friends, the state of the left. So that said, I think that's the end of the episode, huh? Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, let's do plugs. And I think it feels weird to go two without a disclaimer in a row, but I think just for the way some of these rounded off and some of the discussion we've talked about with like, you know, Listen, I'm going to say past, from when you aim- started the disclaimer to the first time you haven't done it, which was the last episode, which hasn't yeah. come out yet, even, uh, not as this recording, but it'll be out tomorrow. So. Yeah. So like, there's quite a few disclaimers to cover us for two episodes. I think. Yeah, I I think so. We um, I, I, I've had a but, lot of messages ask the number one thing I get asked: Why do they do the disclaimer every episode? Because Nathan tells me to. Because Nathan tells me. <laughs> well, we covered that. Uh, that question has been answered live. You're welcome. I am the voice of the people. It's the mass line, the Marx Madness. <laughs> uh, but but honestly. You know, just for the second time in a row, I think we ended on on a tone that is is far more important. Look to aim as an example. Look to pass revolutionaries as an example. Reach into the revolutionary optimism you have and use that to drive you forward. But do it from material examples. Right. And like, you want material? I mean, Black Panthers. Aim. Yeah. Those yeah. are great places to actually look. The, the government of, didn't come after them on accident. The, that right. is a threat. <laughs> Be a threat. And AIM was targeted because the Black Panthers had already been neutralized, basically, by yeah. the time. Like, I mean, the Black Panthers had a role in, uh, off, and I would argue is probably a fed within the Black Panthers offering them dynamite. But yeah. at the BIA occupation in 71, the Black Panthers were there helping and try to give them explosives. But, you know, whatever. I don't give a shit. Blow up that building. Anyway, fucking, you know, like, (laughs) that just seems like fed shit, though. You know, if somebody's like, blow it up, you should go, should I, though? Should I? Who are you? (laughs) You (laughs) Like, I don't care if you do that. I'm not going to encourage it, though, because that is terrorism. Yes. Occupation of a BIA building, on the other hand, that is That's a public building, and we own it as Indian people. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> that's the argument, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, for plugs, uh, I'm, of course, Shungmani too, uh, formerly of the Bands of Turtle Island podcast. That's rebranding into the Chukaluta Project, which is going to be a podcast stream, YouTube, Zine, I don't know, a million things. Probably a Substack. <laughs> Whatever y'all want. You know, um, I some great luck I've lucked into, um, but overall, uh, you know, things are going good on that end. Uh, you know, just follow us at at Chunkaluta1973 on Twitter or at Bands Island is my personal Twitter now, which it's always been my personal Twitter, but <laughs> now it's officially my personal Twitter. <laughs> Only that. <laughs> Now I can be like, no, no, no. The opinions aren't the same, even though I run the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, freaking, uh, what else do I have going on? Uh, uh, I have, uh, it, oh, uh, in two months, we have the first episode releasing of a, 
multi-part audio documentary series with Jacobin on the Wounini occupation of 1973, specifically towards the end of my goal of educating people on AIM more thoroughly uh, in how important, how widespread, and how deep red power influenced the left in the 70s, um, 70s to 80s, really. But um, let's see, uh, I am doing a winter drive, most importantly, for my reservation um, by the, t- you said this comes out the ninth. Um, yeah. So we have until Christmas to donate as much as you can. Uh, by this time I'll have a PO box set up. That'll be in the show notes, um, to send blankets and shit, send it priority shipping. You know, um, we leave around Christmas. I'm not going to tell you when offset reasons, but, uh, <laughs> we're ending the fundraiser Christmas Eve. That's the goal is to have all of what we need raised and we almost reached the original goal of 3000. We're only like 600 away at time of recording or something like that. Um, so I've re- raised it to 4,500. Why not? Well, well, I bet you we can earn that in the next, you know, 20 days, you know, <laughs> let's get it done. Uh, so, uh, hopefully by the time you've seen this, uh, it'll be even more money that we've raised by then. And maybe we'll be going for 5,000, but your money goes to, we're hunting a buffalo, so that's a thing, um, and that's going to feed the community as well as like we have like canned foods and stuff. Like, I, I get a bunch of stuff from Wick that I don't end up using in the month. Then it's like beginning to become a hoarding problem because I'm like, well, I don't want to let state benefits go to waste, right? So <laughs> I've just been getting everything, and now I'm like, well, what if I just brought it to the res? And got more later because like the wick's not going anywhere right is this fraud am i admitting to fraud on air if it, uh, oh well anyway so. okay well, uh, well we'll cut that then um yeah i cut the wick part stuff out actually so anyway we're bringing a bunch of stuff i have in my pantry as well as donated goods from like my neighbors and stuff but like uh, I really want to get a uh, PO box going for various things. Like we need blankets, winter coats. Nobody's donated any winter coats and they're expensive as shit. Um, so I'm hoping I can buy a couple, but it's going to be like, you know, a few choice kids are going to get a, some fucking coats and that's going to be it. And that sucks. Um, but the main thing is I'm bringing a bunch of wood in a U-Haul uh, from the UP, which it's full of wood. Um, and it's all free wood. So all we have to do is pay for gas and the U-Haul that's doable. And, you know, I'm bringing out, you know, a soup kitchen with me basically. And, uh, going to hunt a Buffalo and feed everybody. Uh, nice. and we got to rent out a place to feed people. I mean, yeah. chances are somebody will let us use a place for free, but chances are some fucking person will also be greedy. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Let's see how the holiday season treats us, eh? Uh, But, you know, uh, we had an elder who was burning their clothes to stay warm, and it's only November. You know, like, so I've sent over, like, $1,000 now for gas and oil for chainsaws to just cut wood and deliver wood now. You know, so that's been being done this, like, for the last month and a half or so. Um, which is awesome that we've been able to send out a thousand dollars already. And that's gotten a lot of people, you know, wood. the issue is, is come December, how much wood's going to be left of that wood. Uh, so I'd like to definitely bring out as much as I can and just start handing it out for free because, 
you know, the biggest issue is the cost of gas for people. So if it's us bearing the costs. I'd prefer that than them because the average income there is $2,000. You know, these are the reasons to help my reservation over other projects right now. It's that the availability of resources are not there. So we have to bring them and I will bring them and your name will be on it and you can say you helped, you know, <laughs> I'm, like I'm a one man, like I, I have other hands coming with, but it's, you know, it's me and my uncle. That's yeah. who's doing this right now. So it's like, you know, all we need is the money for the gas. If we have the gas, we have the chainsaw, we have the vehicles, we have the land, we have the wood, we have the network. We do not have the money. That is the issue. Okay. I don't need anything else from white people. Okay. I, I can do this all without your help, apparently. Because <laughs> fucking, you know, I don't see anybody offering to come meet me at my reservation. You know, that's on the table. You know, I don't hear any fucking white people going, hey, you need a hand chopping down some trees. You ever chop down a tree with an axe? Because that's what I got right now. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't have a chainsaw. My, the chainsaw is in Pine Ridge. You know, <laughs> like, over here right now, it's like, yeah, we're splitting logs. You know, <laughs> like, okay, cool. But like a, a lot of it's already split and stacked yeah. up nicely and pre-seasoned. But, you know, this, like, this is the stuff we're dealing with. And it's just like, uh, you know, I've heard like the patriotic socialists say, nobody wants to cut wood every day. And it's like, I've cut wood my entire life. You are a, you are a petite bourgeois pretending to be a fucking communist. Yeah. Cutting wood is the least of my concerns. That is the easiest thing I can do to help people is cut wood. I've been cutting wood since I was like fucking 10. Okay. Like that is not an exaggeration. We've lived with a wood stove my entire life. I, I wish I had a wood stove now. I would much prefer it to the gas bill. Okay. <laughs> it's, I just, it amazes me like how people, how removed the common white person is compared to me. Like I feel so rugged compared because it's like, I'm not, I don't live yeah. that ruggedly anymore. I'd like to think I've become more of an urban Indian than I am a res Indian. And like, you know, I'm still constantly taken aback by the culture shock value where it's just like, this is so common. Everybody chops wood on my res. I mean, the, there are people complaining about that in the same country as us and saying <laughs> that we were not being oppressed. Like, hold on. Why does it everybody I know chop wood and nobody, you know, chop wood. What's going on there? I can't. Yeah. Huh. What's the difference between you and I? But yeah, so that's the most important plugs, I think. Uh, otherwise, okay. check out the Twitter, whatever. There's, I'm always doing something. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, for the Mark's Madness side, pretty simple. Um, at MarksMadnessPod.com on Twitter, so long as the health site still exists. Uh, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com or uh, we also have a discord I'm not on there much but Shigmanitou's on there a lot and so is Nathan and I come when I'm called upon um, if you need help getting into the discord sort of like it is Beetlejuice the... you just have to say David's name three times <laughs> I'm like I'm more like candy man you give me too much credit Beetlejuice I'm, I'm scary <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> like the candy man, Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, if you need help getting into the Discord, it's in the Twitter bio, or you could always email us, marksmadnesspot at gmail.com. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, my name's David. I am Shugbody, too. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Oh, sure.